of all the creations of God, surely one of the most magnificent is the lion. Their majestic roar can be heard five miles away. They can run up to 50 miles per hour, and they can leap as far as 36 feet. Now, when you think of a lion, you know that those are not slender cats, but they are strong and muscular. African lions can weigh over 400 pounds. Asian lions can go up to 500 pounds. It's a big cat, isn't it? And they're ferocious hunters. A lion can kill an animal that weighs 1,000 pounds. So unless you are Samson, (laughs) when a lion attacks, a human has very little chance of survival. David Livingston was one such survivor, but he also had a lot of help. Livingston was a remarkable 19th century explorer in Africa. He was also a missionary who exposed some of the great evils of the slave trade. And Livingston had a terrifying encounter with a lion. While staying in a village, he tried to hunt down a lion that was preying upon the sheep of the village. So he shot the lion in the neck. But while he was reloading, the lion pounced upon him. Livingston would later say these words, quote, The lion caught me by the shoulder, and we came to the ground together. Growling horribly, he shook me as a terrier dog does a rat. So the lion put its paw on his head, surely to finish him off. But thankfully, several of the uh, Africans helped Livingston by shooting and spearing it. The lion fell down dead, but not without causing great damage to Livingston. What a creature, right? What a creature. Now, can you imagine being put into a den, not only with one lion, but a whole den full of lions? That's not how you'd like to spend your evening, would it Would it be, right? That would be pretty terrifying. And of course, this actually happened in the Bible in a famous passage called Daniel and the lion's den. And this story is perpetually popular because people are fascinated how a man could survive a night in the lion's den full of hungry lions. But also, as we're going to see in the passage, the events leading up to the lion's den are very interesting and instructive for God's people. We have a lot to learn from Daniel's example of integrity and prayer and conviction when uh, faced with the choice of choosing between obeying God and obeying man. So I pray that this familiar story will reach deep into our hearts and encourage us that we see God, as we sang about earlier, that he is indeed a way maker, a deliverer, and someone who is faithful. Amen? Amen. So today we're finishing a series that I'm calling Five Great Stories of the Bible. Scripture is filled with just incredible stories It is itself one grand story of redemption. And so we've been looking at 
five different stories that show God's amazing work through the years. And I've been trying to say, let's look at them a little bit deeper. We might be familiar with these stories, but let's flesh them out a little bit. See how they're fulfilled now in light of Jesus and the resurrection and what they might mean in our lives. And so we've looked at the rise and fall of Samson. We've seen David and Goliath, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. We saw the birth of Christ, and now we're going to close with Daniel and the lion's den. So please turn to Daniel chapter 6. It's found on page 743 if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you. While you're turning there, just to catch you up to speed, uh, Daniel 5, the passage right before it, records how the Babylonian kingdom fell very swiftly to the Medes and the Persians just as Daniel had predicted. And so we see here that this, this was a very rapid fall. And then a man named Darius the Mede, he ruled over the city of Babylon. He's prominent in our passage before us. Scholars are unsure about his exact, his exact identity um, because he does not appear outside of the Bible. Perhaps he was a general of the Persian king Cyrus. But as for Daniel, he survived this you know, this overthrow of the Babylonian Empire as the Medes and Persians took over, and he assumed a place of prominence once again. So at this point in the story of Daniel's life, he's around about 90 years of age and has been serving in these, you know, foreign governments for about 70 years. What a long and distinguished career he has at this point. And he's not done yet. There's still some more we're going to see with Daniel. So is everybody there? Page 743, if you use one of the Bibles, Daniel chapter 6. First part of our passage is the plot to destroy Daniel. The plot to destroy Daniel. Let's read the first nine verses together. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a king, excuse me, to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. 
So again, we see here this story begins with Darius setting up his kingdom. Obviously an important move to make as he's taking over from Babylon and their domain. And he puts in place these 120 satraps. Or these were the provincial rulers, kind of like governors in our day and age. They're responsible for keeping law and order. And of course, they were making sure that the, they were collecting those taxes, right? And over the satraps were three high officials. Different translations translate those words differently. It might be administrator, presidents, commissioners. Daniel was one of those three high officials. And of them, over time, Daniel surpassed all of them. Why was it that Daniel surpassed all of them? What does it say there in the text? It says that he demonstrated, quote, an excellent spirit. He had impeccable character. His conduct was blameless, even though he was surrounded by a bunch of corrupt colleagues who no doubt were trying to tempt him into the corruption they were pursuing. But Daniel stood firm. And that's just a good reminder that no matter where God places us, that we can stand firm with our character and our integrity, even if it's in a really difficult place like politics or business or whatever it might be. Well, there's a lot of pressure. God wants his people to have an excellent spirit. Amen? Very important in this story. Because of Daniel's faithful service, King Darius planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Now, you would assume that with that kind of character, everybody would be excited to follow Daniel, right? No, it didn't quite work out that way, did it? Scripture doesn't say, but it's safe to assume that there were reasons these other leaders had, these presidents and these satraps, why they did not like Daniel. Perhaps they were jealous of him. Maybe they were convicted by his righteousness. Sometimes unrighteous people don't like to be around righteous people, right? They might have been upset that he was restraining their corruption. Maybe they were angry that this despised exile was in such a place of prominence. Maybe it's all of those reasons, but they didn't like Daniel. So what are they going to do about it? Well, the high, the high officials and the satraps, I think it's kind of better, maybe we should call them set traps, because <laughs> that's kind of what they're about here, right? The satraps, they try to bring a charge against Daniel. But Daniel possessed such integrity that they couldn't come up with any charge to be made against him. The only way to bring a charge against him was the law of his God. I hope that could be said of each of us. That God's people live in such a way that the only complaint they can make about you is the God you believe in. Amen? In other words, that you would live such a life that they could have no other fault, right? They would see an excellent spirit in the way you conduct yourself, but they might say something like, well, I may not agree with some of her beliefs, but man, she is an excellent worker, right? Unfortunately, sometimes Christians go around and they're very vocal about their beliefs, say at the workplace, but then they show up late for work or they do shoddy work. People are turned off by the gospel when we live like that. Amen? Again, God wants us to have an excellent spirit. 
So the high officials and the satraps, they devise a plot. You say, what was it? Well, they make a decree that for 30 days, no one could make a petition except to Darius, not even to a god there. And if this petition were made, a person would be cast into the lion's den. Sure death, right? You got to give it to these satraps. They're pretty good at what they do. I mean, they, 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 they get a, a good lie here about all the leaders, right, being in agreement. I don't think they asked Daniel, did they? No, but they went ahead and said, every, all, everybody's in agreement here, right? Well, they never asked Daniel. And then they flattered Darius with this proposal, right? He would be like a god for a month. New leader, that probably would stroke his ego a little bit, right? And then, of course, it kind of can be seen as wise. He was a new leader establishing himself, and so this would kind of solidify him as a point person of authority and power. Finally, the accuser stressed that the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be revoked. Once made, you couldn't change these laws. Now, to be totally accurate, they could change them, but it was rare to do it because it would have to be, you know, changing face and might kind of lose their credibility. But they could change it. But in this case, they really were laying it on thick to the king here. This is what we need to do. But at this point, right, it's unclear why these leaders chose this strategy about praying, making a petition to Darius. Now it becomes clear. Second part here. Daniel disobeys the king's law. Daniel disobeys the king's law. Let's read verses 10 to 15 together. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did, not, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So here we read, Daniel hears about the king signing the document, and what does he do? He goes to pray. And he prays toward Jerusalem. Why? Well, in the Old Testament, King Solomon established the temple. This is where God's presence was to be. And in 1 Kings 8, he told them that if you were exiles in foreign lands, that you should turn and pray toward the temple where God's presence dwelt and that you might find compassion with your captors just as Daniel had been doing and the compassion he had been finding. Now, at this point, the temple was destroyed. But Daniel persisted in praying toward the temple. Now to clarify, as 
Christians on this side of the cross, we don't need to continue to pray toward Jerusalem because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament law. There's no longer a need for a priesthood and a temple and sacrifices and so forth. But for Daniel, Jesus was still in the future, right? And so he was praying toward the temple. Now, speaking of prayer in the midst of a trial, let me point out three principles from Daniel's example that I think we should all take in this morning. The first is the priority of prayer. Daniel made prayer a priority even though he was a top leader in the empire. It it didn't matter that he was this big shot, so to speak. He went to prayer. And when he got this distressing news, did you notice that the first thing he does is pray? He doesn't go and exhaust all the possibilities and then go pray. He doesn't go talk to the king or maybe some of these other officials and then pray. Prayer was not the last resort. It was the first resort. Amen? God's people, when we are in the midst of a trial, should go right to prayer. Amen? Prayer has to be the priority. The second thing we see there is the earnestness of prayer. Daniel was clearly distraught as evidenced by him praying on his knees. Now for the Jews, when they were very earnest, they would get on their knees and pray. And so Daniel was very fervent in his prayers. Now when we pray, I think it's perfectly fine and natural for us to have calm, conversational prayers as we're talking to our God. He is our Father and our friend. That should be part of our prayer lives. But there is also a time and a place for God's people to be fervent and earnest in our prayers and really wrestle with God. To get down on the spiritual wrestling mat, so to speak, like Jacob did in the Old Testament, and wrestle with God. When was the last time when you were in a trial, when you closed the door and you got on your face and you prayed your heart out, asking for God to move in a situation? Not just a cool, calm, casual conversation with God. God wants to see us earnest in our prayers. He also wants to see us thankful. That's right. Thankful, thankful. Daniel just got the news that this bogus law was passed and it might cost him his life. But he doesn't wait till the trial is over to give thanks. He doesn't wait until he's out of the lion's den before he starts thanking God. He thanks God in the midst of the trial. A similar passage is found in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul, likewise, was in a predicament, he was in prison, he faced the possibility of death, and yet he writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And can I tell you something? God wants this from all of his people, not just Daniel, not just Paul, but from all of his people. Because it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As it's sometimes said, you're not thankful necessarily for the circumstance, but you can be thankful in the midst of the circumstance. 
One writer said, well, quote, here is a good test of the depth of your prayer life. How much of your time and energy in prayer is spent complaining about the circumstances of your life and asking for things to be different, and how much time is spent giving thanks for God's overwhelming goodness? Did that sink home for anybody this morning? It's a good word for us. So church, when we face trials of various types and we're seeking deliverance, let's seek to remember to pray with earnestness and thankfulness. God is a way maker. And he often, not always, but he often does bring deliverance for his people. When they pray with this type of earnestness and with this type of prayer, God is a way maker. He brings healing. He brings a job when there's unemployment. He brings someone out of a a harmful situation in their home or a workplace situation. He provides for a need. Three weeks ago, our church was really blessed by our guest preacher, Hal Howler. And if you recall, he told that story about on two occasions, he was in need, of, their church was in need of $17,000 and another time $25,000. And he did not tell the church, but he got on his face and prayed And both times, God sent their church an anonymous check for those exact amounts. God is a way maker. Now, at first here, going back to our passage, it seemed that God's, excuse me, Daniel's prayer had not been answered. Instead of finding compassion, his accusers find him praying, and they set off uh, to go tell Darius. Before breaking the news, though, they remind the king about the new law that he had established. They set him up, didn't they, with, their, with his own words. And then they inform him about Daniel. And in response, Dan, excuse me, Darius was distressed, and he wanted to get Daniel out of this situation. But they remind him about the fixed nature of his decree. Now, before going on, I just want to say a quick word here about this situation that Daniel finds himself in, about knowingly defying the king's order. Notice that it says when Dan- that when Daniel heard about the new law, in response, he went and prayed, uh, knowing what the law was saying. So it was no accident that Daniel defied the law. Now, to clarify, Daniel was not going out of his way to pray visibly for everybody to see him. In his house, there would have been some small windows there in the upper chamber, right? These weren't large bay windows, okay? <laughs> and it, was, so it wasn't like Daniel was trying to show off to the world, kind of brazenly define the king's order. But he also knew exactly what he was doing. So the bottom line is, We are commanded to obey the government because God instituted the government. As long as the government does not cause us to violate Scripture, we should obey it. However, when we are commanded to violate Scripture, like Daniel here, God's people are to choose God over man. 
as the apostles famously said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. I think Scripture is pretty clear about that subject. So let's move on now to the third part of our passage where the Lord delivers Daniel. The Lord delivers Daniel, verses 16 to 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So at the king's demand, a command, Daniel is cast into the lion's den. It might have looked something like this, in case you're maybe trying to get a visual, where he was dropped into a chute and dropped there down into the lion's den, and it would have been sealed over. Now, when you read this, Darius, to me, is very interesting. He's kind of a conflicted guy in this situation. On one hand, he refused to change the decree. I mean, he could have changed the decree. We know it was rare, but he could have changed it, but he didn't. He could have saved Daniel's life. But on the other hand, Darius realized he had been duped, and he does try really hard to save Daniel. He really is sorry about Daniel's fate. And as it says there, he spent the whole night fasting for Daniel. He was very moved, and he cared a lot for Daniel. You could say that Daniel was his main man. Not one person got that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. I just got to let you know what you might be walking into. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Some of you will be driving home today, and it might, might sink in. Well, anyway, I'll move on. I'll move on. <laughs> Let's see what happens as the day dawns. Verse 19 and following. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in to haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So Darius rushes in to check on Daniel, and amazingly, Daniel was fine. You say, why did the lions not eat him? Well, the famous British pastor Charles Spurgeon joked, I guess a better joke than mine, but he said that the lions chose not to eat Daniel because he would not have been much of a meal. 
He said about Daniel, quote, he was half grit and the other half backbone. (laughs) So not a delicious meal. But we know in reality, it was the Lord that closed the mouths of the lions. What do you think that meant, that the angel closed the angels, excuse me, the lion's mouth? I would have loved to have a video in that den, see what happened that night. What did the angels do to those lions? Were the lions trying to attack them all night and they got kind of rough with the lions and kept pushing them away? Did they make the lions fall asleep? Or did they treat them like a bunch of kittens and maybe teach them some tricks? Who knows? But it shows God's authority over these mighty lions that the angels had no problem in shutting their mouths. Daniel tells the king that God delivered him because he was blameless both before God and before the king. Darius was glad to hear Daniel was fine. He ordered him to be brought up out of the den. And when he is pulled up, no harm was found on him. Why? What does it say there? Because he trusted in the Lord. And then you see the tables are turned on those accusers. Darius orders that these men and their families be thrown into the lion's den. This was a common practice in the Persian Empire, that the entire family would suffer the consequences of one's actions. And notice that it says, even before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions killed them. I think that detail is put in there to show that it wasn't the case that these lions were full, and that's why they didn't attack Daniel. God supernaturally delivered him. Final part of our passage as Darius praises the Lord. Let's read verses 25 to 28 as we close out our passage. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that, all, that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth for who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So Darius writes this letter to the peoples of the kingdom. He declares that all people should tremble before the God of Daniel. He points out how God, Daniel's God, how he performs miracles. He has a kingdom that's going to last forever, and he saved Daniel from the power of these lions. It's amazing that Daniel enjoyed such a distinguished career that he doesn't even need to identify him to the rest of the empire. Everybody knows who Daniel is. That is an excellent spirit. Amen? His character went before him and his faith in his God. Our passage, just noted real quickly here, closes with this mention of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. You say, what what does that matter? Well, Cyrus is important because he's the one who issues the decree that the exiles could go back to the land of Palestine. And not only that, but he was going to fund the rebuilding of their temple, just as had been predicted beforehand would take place that the exile would go back after 70 years. God is faithful to all his promises, amen? Even when things look so dark, 
Daniel saw the, the great bitterness of exile and living that way, but he knew that God was faithful to his word and the glorious news that had been promised came to pass. And then looking beyond Daniel's day, Cyrus's decree was so important because it returned the people back to the land because God had also ordained that one day a Messiah was going to be born in the land of Israel. We just celebrated this at Christmas, right? that he would be born in Bethlehem. God has it all under control, amen? As we close, I just want to encourage us to think not only about this story with Daniel, but in light of this whole series about all the great stories of the Bible. God gives us stories because he's wired us to remember stories. You can hear a whole long conversation, but you'll take away the story, right? We just are wired to remember stories. And God wants us to remember stories of the scriptures to undergird our faith. Why is that? Well, sometimes people, when they're going through trials, will go through a very traumatic trial. And it will really damage their faith. Or they go through kind of a slow, long, grinding trial and they slowly start falling away from the Lord. Scripture calls us, church, to remember these stories and to celebrate God's works. For example, in Psalm 78, the psalmist who is going through a tremendous trial writes these words in verse 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. In the midst of a trial, great trial, the psalmist disciplines himself to remember the great stories of Scripture. Church, it is essential that we remember what God has done. And we see this in Scripture. We go back to creation. We go back to what He has done in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And most of all, we go back to Christ and what He has accomplished for us. As we start a new year, it's a great time to say, you know what? I really want to fill my mind with Scripture this year, right? Probably no better resolution than to fill your mind with the Word of God this year. And we need to learn these stories, and we need to remind ourselves of them so that when we stand in the midst of a trial, we go back to them. Amen? And I think it's also important, hear this, that not only do you know the great stories of Scripture, but we remember what God has done in our own lives and not become overly preoccupied with the trial that we are currently going through. And we forget what God has done. In our Thursday night study on miracles, the first night, I just opened the floor and said, Anybody who would like to share a story where you yourself experienced a miracle or maybe somebody you know experienced a miracle. And it was encouraging just to hear about God's work that he has done in people's lives. So we need to recall these stories. 
whether it's how we came to know Christ in the first place, whether it's answered prayers where God just clearly answered something, or whether it is something miraculous that God has done in our lives. And I would add that we would also need to do this when we gather together. That's why it's great and important to gather together with other believers. Because you might be going through a dry season in your life. And you see a slow drift in your life. And you don't see God working the way maybe you'd like to see. But then you can go into a small group or come to a Sunday gathering and you hear about what God is doing in other people's lives and it will invigorate your faith, amen? Amen. To know that, yes, you're in a dry season right now, but God is still the living God and he is a way maker and he's not done with you yet, amen? Amen. Finally, all these great stories, who do they point to? They point to Jesus, don't they? All of these great promises found in the Old Testament, they find their completion in in Christ. He is the promised Messiah, the Savior, who brings deliverance from sin and judgment. He is the one who lived the sinless life that no one else lived. Even a great man of God like Daniel was not sinless. Only Jesus is sinless. And so therefore, he stands in our place when he went to the cross giving his life for the life of the world. And he offers eternal life to those who turn from their sin and commit to follow him as Savior and Lord. That's never happened in your life. I would like to invite you today, as we start a new year, to start your story with Christ, trusting him as your personal Savior and Lord, and begin that journey that you will never regret because God is indeed faithful and a way maker. And he has made a way for you to receive eternal life when you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Take advantage of that today and turn to the, to the Lord and he will forgive all of your sins. Let us pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these amazing stories of Scripture that we have read these last five Sundays. And Lord, we know that your word is full of these remarkable ways that you have worked. And so God, as we do begin this new year, fill our minds with your truth, your word. And Lord, help us call to mind the things that you have done in our own lives. Lord, forgive us for becoming preoccupied with where you might be uh, not working the way we want you to work and where we have a spirit of grumbling and complaining. Lord, help us call to mind the many wonderful things you are doing and will continue to do. Lord, I pray for someone here today who has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray today would be that day of salvation that you bring their heart and mind to a knowledge of who you are and a humbleness to trust you, to take up their cross and follow Christ the rest of their days. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this season that we've enjoyed, hearing from the word of God. May your work spread quickly in our hearts and minds and in this community. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.